They're bad. They're boys. And occasionally, they talk about running. Yes, it's the Bad Boy Running Podcast with your hosts, Jody Rainsford and David Heller. Come back. Baby, come back. Bye, 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 bye. Bye, 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 bye. I must admit I was a clone to be messing around. But that doesn't mean that you have to leave town. Bye, 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 Breathe out and breathe out. So do balance. What you don't know is we tried to do this 10 minutes ago and I was having an absolute stress breakdown because I had my my listing on Amazon hijacked and was desperately trying to salvage my business. But it's all good now. It's all good. (laughs) What David doesn't know is I was the hijacker. Where are my millions? Where am I? Purposely, purposely undercutting your products just to make you squirm. In fact, is this talking about people taking money out of my pocket? And um, we can get straight into this. So last weekend, Beerfund cancelled. Now, mm. yeah, oh, yeah, shame, yeah, shame. yeah. We're going to say we're going to talk about big races being cancelled, of which. We're putting Beerathon as the most important race <laughs> that's going to be discussed on this podcast. It's the one. It's the one you're all saying. <laughs> like, we can't cancel that, surely. Surely. <laughs> yeah, you go, in how many years? How many years have you had it without cancelling it? I mean, a hundred percent of the years that it's been going. So <laughs> I don't actually know when we started it. I can't remember. Nine or eight, ten, seven. <laughs> I don't know when I started it. I, I mean, I, I've, I've not been keeping count. I can figure it out. No, no, it's good. It's good. Go on, go on. Let's let's hear your beer thing. Because so I think we discussed this briefly, didn't we, last week, saying that you've had to cancel it, but um, hopefully everyone's okay um, with it because money has gone to charity because you wanted to double the money for the charity. I take yeah. it. I take it someone's not happy. Actually, it's not that, and oh, and it's okay. I guess it's not been cancelled. It's going to be. It's been postponed, so it's still going to happen. And everyone will tickets the good for when we fix a date. Oh, you're doing but... an Iron Man, aren't you? Now, yeah, <laughs> but but we're holding it in uh, in the Arctic, uh, so you're just going to yeah, get there yeah. for it in order to. <laughs> and it's shots of beer instead, but um, it's what was quite strange. So I emailed out to everyone and. I thought I had everyone's email address from the tickets. But then still on Facebook in the group event, which I forgot there was one, um, <laughs> someone someone went in there and said, oh, actually, I'd, you know, I've, I'm going to sell my ticket if anyone wants a last minute ticket, which I thought was a bit strange. <laughs> weirdly, last year, I remember someone saying something to, to that tune in the in, in the Facebook group, I didn't recognise their name, so I looked up this person's name, and this person was never registered. And actually, there were six people in the Facebook group who posted very similar things, saying, really? "Yeah, I've got a spare ticket. If you want to have my ticket, uh, let me know." And so I messaged them all, and they've all sent me email addresses because they've all got account problems with their bank accounts, and can can I PayPal them the money? 
And the beerathon is about from if you were to rate races in size of like anything from one to a million, a million being London Marathon, we're one, right? Oh, I I, even that's generous. Even yeah, yeah, that is rounded up for the purpose. <laughs> yeah, so for the purposes of insurance, uh, it's not a race. It's, <laughs> it's um, not a race. It's a it's a large a large gathering who happens to uh, uh, ambulate around a certain point uh, while drinking. <laughs> wow. so that, so it, it makes me wonder. And and actually, the Facebook group had about a thousand people interested, which yeah. I don't know. I don't know who or where they came from, but so that's a, I guess marketing. A, <laughs> Mark, yeah. <laughs> yeah. All to the podcast. Oh, yeah. As soon as they knew it wouldn't happen, people wanted to do it. Um, but it made me think. I wonder if that's common. Like, are there any other event organizers listening who have had a similar experience? Like, look back at previous events. There are tickets to where tickets are linked in the event and because is is this just a couple of chances or could this be people who are raking in thousands upon thousands of pounds because all they have to do is write one they just look at events that day and they get a bot to write one sentence in it and each one's going to be you know, 20 to 200 pounds one of the ladies is sending me four tickets. Really? Yeah. So, you know, if, if I'd fallen for that and it could happen quite easily, um, that's 120 quid for one, one pace, one post on, oh no, we're telling people the financials. We're encouraging people to do it. Themselves. <laughs> but I'm not really sure what to do with this information because. Oh, wow. That's um, incredible. I mean, like that, I suppose. Part of you thinks, well, you know, they're not targeting. I suppose targeting big races is difficult, isn't it? Because you know, mm. there's. They probably don't have you're, event. You're, you're, yeah, exactly. You're not no, getting the race number. You're going to pick up the. Th you know, there's 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 different elements to it. Whereas, it, this one is, you know, it's a lot more casual. It's kind of turn yeah. up on the day and show and you know show that you're registered and and I suppose there's probably a lot of races like that as well. Um, yeah. And I, I don't know what to do with this information because Facebook clearly don't care about anything. Uh, or, you know, case, Facebook don't have the morals. And also Facebook have the type of AI that means I'm never going to speak to someone about this. I'm just yeah. going to have to, like, have to flag a profile as spam and then try and explain the situation. And they'll say, there was the, the law broken. And like, well, no, because I wasn't foolish enough to send them my money but it does feel like this could be quite a big problem potentially yeah. it's just that it's a 30 pound a time problem where there's no big there's no one big um victim yeah and so I, i've written to reply all one of my favorite podcasts and said hey want to feature me yay i could be on the podcast no, I'm back yet. Not with imminent, imminent. What's that? What's that podcast? Uh, I, I think I've talked about it in the past. It, it's all about, it's loosely about technology and the internet. But um, it, it tends to be stories of oddities um, that are actually people, people focused. But it could be, for example, how I think last time 
because I have mentioned this before, I believe, um, how in the States that um, locksmiths are being put out of business by essentially locksmith scammers who set up using Google Maps thousands of local locksmiths that don't exist so that because you never have a regular locksmith, right? you, you need them last minute when you're desperate because you're locked out of your house. You then go on Google, it's the first place you look, obviously, and Google will show the nearest one, and they just want someone there as soon as possible. And so apparently what was happening, someone had figured this out, that Google Maps is pretty loose about how it decides what's a legitimate company and what isn't. And so these are all being routed to call centers where um, one person that the call center would answer with this as if they're local and set with New York, they then get, they get a, a, a Ghana bike to come out to you. And they then say, oh, yeah, no, this is a type of lock that blah, blah, blah. So I would have tried to do this, but I'm just going to have to drill it and charge you 350 pounds. And because no one knows whether that's true or not, yeah. in, in essence, instead of paying a locksmith 70 pounds, who would have jimmied the door or potentially had the tools to open your type of lock. Every single one of them is just having their, their lock drilled, which means they've got to get a whole new lock and being charged a huge amount for it. And there was nothing that the locksmiths could do because it wasn't it, Google Maps wouldn't take down thousands of thousands of these listings. And even if they did, they'd pop them up again. And so unless Google decided to completely change the way it's its criteria for the, the minimum benchmark of being a business listing, it, they were essentially just all getting out of business. So that's a classic, classic yeah. um, reply all. So, uh, it, just, feel, it feels like we're on Watchdog, doesn't it? Yeah. It feels yeah. like we're, like we're or, or rogue traders or something. Like We're going through some scams here. It feels like we're teaching as well. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I don't really know what to do because it feels too small to go to the police. And also, I doubt any any of these people are, are based in the UK because why would they be? They'd just be somewhere globally. Well, can you play with them? Can't you like uh, you know say, oh, can you send me a copy of the ticket? See what mm. see what they send back. I could potentially because you did say you had a digital ticket. <laughs> like you definitely haven't been to. Uh... <laughs> the beerathon before. <laughs> Just make up stuff. Make up and say, okay, can you send me through um, the three beer tokens that we get? Um, the, uh, the what's it called? The, a photo of the costume that we get as well. <laughs> Just like really play with them. Like just see what they send back. Go, the, you know, there was a, there was a costume that it, with it with the pack as well. Can you send me through that as well and tell me how you're going to post it? And you just essentially you want someone. Um, uh, dressed in a Mickey Mouse costume, holding up a sign saying, it's really me, David. That That's going to be the holy grail. That's what you need to get out of these scammers. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, if I have time, I will. But my my fear would just be there, would I just say? Because I imagine they posting every day in every event. And they've got hundreds of people messaging them. And they just go. I think you're. I think you're doing. I think. I think the beerathon for them. They've heard about it. They've seen that how many times it's been nominated at the National Running Awards, and they're like, <laughs> "This race must. It keeps getting nominated. It must, this place. These tickets are like big, big bucks here. 
yeah. Yeah, but interesting that that maybe, maybe they've identified that the main demographic is um, uh, white middle class people with too much time on their hands and too much money. And so actually, if a scammer is pretty who, who actually, if they lost 30 quid, probably wouldn't even notice. Uh, you know, yeah. uh, it, it's probably it's probably the best target market that they can find. But what I was, what I was thinking that the, the unfortunate thing is, if if you know if someone did turn up having been scammed a ticket and thinking they had one then it would be a quite difficult situation where the reality would be it would probably eat out of the profit that would all goes to um, educate African children. So they're literally stealing from African children. So they, I don't think they realise that. But, uh, but cancellations all around, right? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So let's let's move on to the second most uh, uh, talked about uh, race cancellation. So as <laughs> by the time that you've heard this, this is kind of like two weeks old now. Like on the on the last podcast, I said, well, how come we haven't heard anything about London? Then literally like the day after um, we heard about London. So so I, I haven't. I just know about the um, there were rumours going around, weren't there, about saying, oh, there's going to be like only people under the three hours. There's some some <laughs> is it some fake running club uh, uh, Twitter account started <laughs> spreading rumours that if you're a, if you're not a sub three hour marathon money, you're not allowed to, to run or something like <laughs> that. <laughs> sending people into a frenzy. <laughs> <laughs> and, and they were being, and they were really doubling down on it. Go, God, good. We don't have to stand toe to toe with bloody charity runners and stuff like that, and fun runners. Which seems, to, but so explain it because I, I, I'm not entirely sure what what they're doing. It, it seems like they're doing a giant park race. Yeah, it's. I wonder how they're going to stop crowds coming. So they've said they're going to do laps of St James's, which is quite small park, really. But I mean, it, it means they're in the mall. I, I guess what's clever about it is that isn't a strip of road that has any businesses on. Yeah. And while there are some people who who use that as a local park, it's 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 not really someone's local park. There aren't that many people who live near it. Um, other McQueen herself, who obviously is topless sunbathing most days uh, <laughs> there. But, Normally in the backyard. Normally in the backyard, though. Normally in the backyard. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so they've they've postponed it, but well, they've and but this is the hard thing, right? Postpone, cancel, because reality is, do you, do you postpone it again until April? Well, they haven't. They? They've moved it all the way back to October. Which is, I mean, I think that's a ballsy move. I think it's probably the right move, but because that's, that's an acknowledgement that this is still going to be bad till mid next year, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, that's an annoying move, right? And especially if you're someone who's got a deferred cargo, deferred New York, and suddenly London's slotting in there as well. And it might be you end up, we've had, we've talked about the the global, the Abbott's marathon majors. It might be you can end up doing all of them back-to-back weekends next year. They should just bite the bullet and just say you could do all of them in like how many are there now? Are there eight? How many there's, are there? There's six. Six. Why don't you just just go bite the bullet and say right for, for only for 2021, 
we're going to do all six back to back in a week. Yeah. And that's what they should do. Yeah, you and they'll say this is the plane flight between them. Yep. You've got to finish in this time straight to the airport. Um, oh, imagine that. Wouldn't people, that be awesome? People would pay to do it, no matter what the price was. Someone would. Um, yeah. So it's 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 going to be interesting because. As the public, we're still allowed out and they're allowed to do laps, but they're obviously wanting to stop people from being irresponsible. But I don't understand how they're going to stop half the world descending on St. James's to watch it. Unless it's completely locked out, the whole yeah. end. Yeah, that may be the thing that they do. So you're going to be locked out so far away that you can't see anything. So it's not worth hanging around. And what's going to be interesting about it, we're actually going to get to understand how exciting or how boring the elite marathon race is. Well, it is boring. I always, I, I always think it's the most boring thing ever. Like people were just getting all excited about it, going, "Oh, this is incredible!" And I'm like, "It's incredible when you you, you watch Mo, like when he first did it and kept knocking shit over and stuff like that. That was that was interesting. <laughs> but like normally, you're like, how do people find this interesting over two hours? But if you're bored of it normally, normally it's interspersed with stories of so-and-so's running for their dog or so-and-so's dressed as a kipper. Whereas this is going to be just them. Like, no distractions whatsoever. Pure running. It's going to be awful. Yeah. It's going to be the worst thing ever. And the commentators as well, oh, they're not going to be used to doing two hours straight. It's going to be brutal. But, oh, um, it's going to be great. But there is a, there's a virtual race, which they're doing. <laughs> is, um, which, which I, you know, they, they have to do something like that, at least. And well, I suppose they still need to. It's the charities, isn't it, that they need to. I mean, they, they're taking such a hit, aren't they? Yeah, that's the unfortunate thing. And... The, the trouble is with big races like this, people book flights, people book accommodation. And I think that's why they, they, they felt they had to put it back a year. <laughs> that's like, why they felt they had to leave it to like two months before, before <laughs> rather than do it back in the, <laughs> back when everyone else did it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they certainly could have cancelled a lot earlier. <laughs> well, wasn't their plan? Their plan was to put something really smart in place, wasn't it? Using kind of Bluetooth tracking and spacing out and stuff. That's what that's what their hope was. They wanted to they wanted to come up with something that was going to like you know, be sort of a pioneer in terms of this is this is how you do big city marathons. And I think it's testament to how close they got to that when they've gone, fuck it, we need to put it back. Not just, <laughs> just six months, but a year. We need a bigger British, British ingenuity's failed us on this occasion. So we're going to. Yeah. And um so it must be heartbreaking if you've trained twice for your first ever marathon. But yeah, but it should be good, like good, like you're being trained. You're not gonna, you're not gonna train for you know, uh, like sixteen weeks, run a marathon, and then get fat again. This is great. This is keeping you fitter for longer. So your performance should be incredible by the time October comes around next year. <laughs> hopefully, hopefully. And Fingers. you've got some amazing, and you've got some amazing, amazing. Uh, What's it called? Amazing uh, chat to go with it. You know, like, oh, uh, if this had been run in April, 
I'd have so done at sub three. I'd have so done sub three. But you did four <laughs> hours. You did four hours forty six. Yeah, with extra six months of uh, you know summer and everything. But pe- people have been wondering whether if they move it back, that it may stay there because recently the issue, the big issues have been with the weather, yeah. and that's only going to get worse with climate change. And so the unfortunate thing about the positioning of at the end of, of April has been it's it's the change in temperature from from March to April that's the issue. It's not how hot it is necessarily on the day, and that's the only month that you seem to see leaps that dramatically that regularly. And so, who knows? Maybe they decide October is the new April. Well, I, ju- I it's difficult, isn't it? I was always an opinion that I absolutely hate spring marathons because it means you have to train over winter and winter's awful. But with climate change, winters are becoming more mild, aren't they? Yeah. Um, although I say, you say that actually, they've been really extreme, haven't they? <laughs> they haven't been that mild. But then summer, you know, if you have an autumn, uh, autumn marathon, the summers, I mean, like, training in this is fucking insane like this yeah it's not as it it produces a completely different um a completely different uh uh, a problem but the benefit of that might be we have more people training for marathons over very very hot summers which may actually help when they step up to ultra and multi-day events at you know at, uh, at, at warmer races in in hotter climbs so actually, it may it may improve the quality of running, and uh, our ability to uh, may, may allow us to ca- catch up with the East Africans. Yeah, I mean, um, <laughs> I, I think I that, that was an ill thought out theory. I got to say, but it's, I, I think it's it's quite depressing if you're. Uh, there's certainly say at Heathside, and I was I was of this mentality as well for quite a while, where you're your year is almost determined by you've got cross country it leads into the marathon you've then got the summer to do potentially track or some more like varied races and then uh, and also lose your fitness then you get back fit at the beginning of autumn to do cross country again you've got that cycle and for a lot of people i don't know i don't know what they'll do because even there's so many half marathons that are so dependent on the London Marathon and whether they'll still stay in the spring or whether they're going to move as well. And actually, there's this whole ecosystem of races. Yeah, you're right, you're absolutely right, yeah. There is, they've built up around it. Yeah, and so they're going to be struggling already. A few of them, or a few of them happened. In fact, yeah, quite a few of them happened, thankfully, this year. But if you're one of those later races, and there's always some halves, like three weeks before London, four weeks before London, that are seen as almost tune up, test your pace halves, so you know what to go for. They may not have happened. And they're now looking at it thinking, will we be able to sell out in March next year? But if not, are we then going to have to hold on all the way to October? Because that's a long time. Well, actually, you know, they're what happens to something like Brighton where Brighton was the only reason it was set up was as a counterpoint to people so basically set up for mm. people that didn't get into it so actually they that moves permanently they've got a free run 
Um, yeah. So as long as they don't keep fucking that up every year like they do, um, you know, and they keep it where it is. Again, but, you know, they, they, they might need to move because, you know, it's, it's even warmer in Brighton. Um, and, you know, they're even more useless at, at, at providing enough hydration than, uh, than Edinburgh. Um, but, you know, if, if that kind of stays in place and that grows as a result of that, that could actually you know, provide a lifeline to some of those uh, some of those halves. But then what happens if you've got if you've already got if you're a marathon and you're in around autumn anyway? I mean, what, what will that take away from you if London moved to that that period? Yeah. Say you're. Because them... if you're doing marathons in October and yeah, September, you're, you're right at the end of it, aren't you? You're, you're, you're kind of really coming to the end of, 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 yeah. of, of the sea, season. You're probably doing your last race of the year. Yeah. And it'll be interesting as well to get the UK public's feedback once that's happened, because, I, you know, as, as, as people, I've been surrounded when I've done most of my life, London's by club runners and we're training anyway and I personally and most of us love the fact that it sees us through the winter as we kick into marathon training make sure we stay fit rather than being depressed in the cold but the public I don't know whether they'll prefer that because it, it was almost perfect for have a massive Christmas New Year start training whereas now you're having to cut in cut into your, your summer holidays and your summers and it if i think it, it may feel nicer to run sometimes but it's going to feel a lot more of a sacrifice having to run long runs every sunday from four months previous to that versus january february march when no one cares what's going on oh i don't know i don't know but, i think i'd i think i'd rather run in the, uh, on a sunday in the summer than a sunday in bloody January. Well, yeah, have to wait and see what people say. They lost their shift. The clubs, the clubs, they've lost all their power. Like no one gives a shit about clubs. It's the the charities and the fun runner, the rise of the fun runner. True, and and they're the ones that matter, I guess, most for these. Now, yeah. I've got something for you that may impress you. Oh, I am easily impressed. So. Someone has done, this yeah. is a couple of months ago, a fasted, but only water, 100 miler. Oh, okay. Which I'm quite impressed by. I didn't, I, well, I, I assumed it was, it's possible just because you know, especially if you've switched to mainly not carbs as your fuel source and you're in keto diet, all of that. But you still ran in 18 hours, 37. Whoa, I thought you were going to go play it. Whoa, that's still impressive. Well, no, actually, it's not impressive. Did it quicker. Try doing it in 26 hours without uh, eating. <laughs> <laughs> well, I reckon walking 100 miles without eating is probably a lot easier than that, isn't it? But um, oh, yeah, amount, I don't know. It's the amount of oh, don't know. I can't compare. <laughs> yeah, because because in essence, you're yeah. I wonder if he was absolutely stuffing his face. Like, did he start with fifteen Kit Kats in his gob? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I don't. I didn't put anything in my mouth. Anything <laughs> in his mouth. Was he like a, swallowed... Was he a deep throater that 
He was like, <laughs> but um, he kept yeah. pockets of food in his cheeks. But... <laughs> <laughs> they called him the hamster. But I, I think that's quite. It, it feels quite yeah, quite grounded. stupid. Yes, it does feel quite. Stupid. But he'd he'd attempted it pre one time previously, and um, it, but it it really goes to show, and, and I think it it does change your perception of how we feel. And we all know about bonking. We all know about the wall. Most yeah. of us know about glycogen. Most most of the times we speak on the podcast about carbs or fat everyone acknowledges that you still need your carbs for the sections of it and for faster bits and you know you can it's you still got to tuck them in there somewhere but for a hundred miles the first distance that isn't actually none of it's fast and so maybe maybe we'll find out that you like pure fat is faster on these distances and it, that will change the way of thinking because to show that you don't need any carbs at all um and he he essence he in essence just ran on fat so a mate and, and I, I listened to a um tristan's tell him um there's a podcast he they chatted to him about it and he said he actually felt he didn't feel as bad in the next days um like his muscles didn't although he was as you'd expect could hardly you know was sleep was sleeping constantly eating eating like a hoover yeah but um yeah i i think that's quite a ballsy thing to attempt what's his body what was his body fat percentage did they did he reveal that didn't ask that but it i mean based on his time i assume it wouldn't be that high yeah yeah of course but, but how you know you, you're looking at um ten thousand calories so you're looking at one kilogram of fat burned. Yeah, because I mean, like some of us, yeah, we could probably, uh, we could probably do the MDS on our on our stores. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, if I'm honest, yeah, but you, yeah, you, uh, you, you probably could. So actually, you know, uh, I don't know. I, uh, it's funny, isn't it? Um, it actually, this segs into the interview um, quite well. Um, because who we're speaking to had uh, an alternative way of training for her events that actually d kind of defies any real understanding of how to do stuff. Um, but yeah, it's going to take, I, I suppose it's going to take people just doing stuff like that to, to really see what the, the real understanding, because, you know, running, having people run 100 milers both that quickly um you know like 10 years ago running it in 18 hours would have been oh my god that's unheard of um mm. and now it's like it's not a particularly fast time um uh compared with you know the the, the, the sort of real elites doing it but i suppose it's going to be like a real it's a real test about what it, it's turning on its head understanding about nutrition and understanding about training and, and, and everything else that goes with it um because it is all still relatively new um yeah. In the sense that we've just we, we have now have a bigger group of people doing it who are willing to experiment with different ways of I mean, like going doing I mean who's the next person gonna run hundred miles without drinking anything? Oh hundred miles without drinking, that would be Yeah, I'm sure, I, I assume impossible. But 
Um, Go on, CFTB. This is this is a this is a challenge for you. <laughs> I mean, you do most races without drinking anything. <laughs> now, um, I'm gonna. I need to find this post or we to see if it's worth talking about. Um, so Nick, this might be something that we. I, I just can't find it. I you hear about... talk, I w- oh, sorry, go on. Oh no! If you wanted to talk about something, we can say this for next time. No, no, no! I wanted to. I wanted to talk about something, and it, I, I can't think how it's related to anything we're doing. We're, we're talking about at all. Uh, That's alright. But I just Drop thought it was a really, really nice story. It's not even related to running, um, but it, we've been talking about coaches and how you know coaches. Some coaches are dicks, and you know uh, the way that people train things like that. Did you see that story about Sue Barker and her coach? I mean, she doesn't seem like she needs a whole coach. More of a. <laughs> She has a big entourage. Um, so, all right. So this uh, this this is like from a different era altogether. So like Sue Barker, you know, uh, she was third in the world at one point um, or whatever. So when she was um, she was trained by um, a coach, Arthur Roberts, um, and she got free. He basically trained two people. One was from a wealthy family. She was from a family that was, you know, didn't have any money. So he gave her free tennis lessons and helped her coach up to a standard, you know, that allowed her to become, um, you know, sort of one of the top top women in the world. Uh, and then when she when she started making money, um, she started paying him back. She felt, you know, so so indebted to him. She paid him back, and so every every month she paid money back to him and stuff over a period of time. Um, and then so kind of like years went by and stuff. And of course, you know, she thought, okay, I paid him back and everything like that. So, you know, he, he's made some, you know, I'm very truly thankful. Him. Then over a period of time, it came to a point where she started receiving um, uh, like uh, dividend checks and um, um, payments from, from these like bonds and stuff that she'd never heard of. And she found out that the whole time she'd been paying him back, he'd been giving the money straight back to her dad and telling him to invest it in um, bonds, shares, stuff like that. Yeah. 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 And so all of the money, she was paying thousands and thousands and thousands and stuff. And the whole time he was just giving it right back to her and investing it for her. And, 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 you know, and she didn't find this out till like years and years later. I imagine given, I guess it depends when she found out, but say she'd found out now, it's, it's likely that her coach wouldn't necessarily be around. Cause... No, no, exactly, exactly. Yeah. But just the fact that, like, I just thought that was, like, incredible. Can you imagine? Can you imagine yeah. that happening now? Um, well. I, I was really, I was just, I mean, I'm not that, I'm, we hear lots of awful things about coaches and stuff like that. And it is obvious that, like, when people do love what they do, it's like, I think people are happy when they when they see real talent. I think with any coach, mm. it seems like they coach and they coach until they find someone who they really think is mm. going to be amazing. And they're happy to coach that person for free. All the snotty little shits that they have to put up with <laughs> and deal with, the fucking Tarquins from middle-class shitty families who don't do what they're supposed to do, but mummy wants them to do stuff, you know, and they have to, you know, they'll take money off them quite happily to fund the prodigal child that they're, you know, that they're, they're always hoping for. Yeah. So I think that's it. And that seems to be, I don't know, do you, do you see, you've, you've obviously um, uh, experienced more like running coaches and stuff like that. Does that kind of, in, in like a, a running club, are there clear people who get like 
you know, someone like one of the coaches there or something obviously sees like this one's got some real talent and they're like put the extra the extra time in with them or does it not yeah. does it not work like that you would always be you would you would always be excited i think no matter what you did even if you are a music um teacher or because really well firstly in, in, in the club yeah absolutely we've uh, we've got a runner called seifu who is of ethiopian heritage he turned up the uh, up at the club age 17 pacing like a maniac and he's unbelievably quick who would have thought who would have thought <laughs> but actually what's what's quite nice about something and this is probably the big difference in, in tennis and running is the whole of our club almost feel this like ownership of his results oh really yeah because he's one of us and we've seen him come to the club and and, and we've all given him little bits of advice that he didn't need, but we've all given you him feel you, you feel like, oh, yes, when he came to me and I told him how to use the vending machine and he could get an extra packet of fruit gums out for free, that probably made all the difference in his trajectory. He didn't know when this, this toilet runs out of paper. There's toilets round the back of the shower. <laughs> and that was all, all a key part of his development. I'm part of that. But the, I, I think that's the, the hard thing about being, say you're Heathside, like Jacob's our, our coach, and he coaches 100 people, yeah. maybe more, and he does a training plan for all of them that's, I mean, it's tough. If you're, if you're at the, the slower end, it's probably not tailored quite to you. But, but yeah, you, you certainly, you see his eyes light up, but... Um, my eyes light up and everyone else, the only person whose eyes, eyes might light up might be the, the person who's the fastest in the club. But a lot of the time, their eyes light up as well because they want the club to do well. And say you're, say you're the, you come fourth in the league normally and everyone loves you for coming fourth. Sure, if this better person comes, it might mean that you're now fifth in the league and they're second in the league. But the likelihood is it it means the club itself, that the team will do so much better by that. Right. Yeah. Um, but do you think it's also because we all reach a limit in our own abilities and by coaching someone who's incredible, it almost, because we, we have ownership of that as well, it allows us to achieve a higher level than we could, we did. Yeah, I think there's a lot in that as well. You know, that whole um, wanting to put, I, I suppose there's a parent, you know, you get that parents who live in their, uh, you know, dreams precariously through their children mm -hmm. and, you know, don't want to do it. Like we, like Frida, Frida's amazing at tennis. Like the coach is just like, she is going to be the best player on the, the court, whoever she plays, whoever she plays, you know, as long as she's going to go professional or something like that. And she's like, mm, tennis, not interested. <laughs> but Libby's just like, you will bloody play tennis because she loved tennis so much, but she was, she, she was average. Uh, yeah. But like, Libby absolutely is just like, you will play tennis. And to watch Frida play tennis, it, it's, it, I don't know anything about tennis. I'm bloody useless. Um, but, uh, but you kind of try, you live that vicariously. You're like, I, I hit the limit of my abilities and I just want to see, preferably if it's my child, I do it. So I suppose there's still that kind of, 
that that relationship of you know you almost feel like you know an extension of your uh, of your abilities and you know I think it's absolutely right I think I think in a nutshell yes it does it feels as though you've been able to extend yourself past your own abilities in some way and, and if, you, if you haven't listened or so if you haven't read Chrissy Wellington's first book read it because it's really interesting about her coach we talked about it on her episode but when she comes back I want to talk to her about her experiences with her first professional coach and how how his ego and yeah he, the way he dealt with her winning is really interesting but before we go to that why don't we talk to our next guest who has been someone who worked a normal job in the city but then had the opportunity to go full-time as a coached runner take it away nick So Dubai has got an absolute treat for you. I've been I've been interested in Carla actually since I, I finished Comrades and was feeling pretty self-satisfied with myself. Only to find out there was someone who lived less than a mile and a half away from me who'd beaten me. Um, but you probably know her more recently from having just broken the uh, Lands End General Groats record, which is absolutely incredible. So welcome on the podcast, Carla Molinaro. Way. <laughs> Hi. How are you doing? I'm good, thank you. How are you guys? Good, thank good, you. Did you good. notice how how much slower he said your surname than the first name there? <laughs> Just to make sure. <laughs> <laughs> Nailed it though. <laughs> so where where are you sat now? Because I I've been trying to figure out if you, are you are you mainly Clapham or are you mainly South Africa? Well, I'm now mainly Clapham, but I'm currently sat in Cornwall. Oh, nice. Yeah. <laughs> Is this rest and recovery? Yeah, I escaped for the weekend and haven't left yet. So the ice Fair cream, spotted cream's too good. So. <laughs> well, you deserve quite a few. Um, <laughs> should we take it back before we come on to, you know, the latest challenge? Because, um, so do bad as you, I, I basically asked Carla a question off air to make sure I wasn't completely wrong in my my my, my aspersions but um yeah Carla, where did when did you when did you shift from being just a you know club kind of runner into being more of an ultra runner um for me i think it was when i decided to sign up to a project which some guys were doing where they were going to try and run from cape town to comrades and the idea was to try and do 90k a day for 20 days and on the 20th day do the comrades ultra marathon um which was a little bit ridiculous because i haven't done anything quite like that before and it turns out we all kind of threw ourselves in after about day six we were all completely broken in some way shape or form i'd torn my quad but we tried to like battle on and do like as much running as we could in the lead up to the race and then the race came and I think I probably, I don't know, it was, a, I'm still not entirely sure how I did it, but I basically just went from the gun as hard as I could and then ended up crossing the finish line in ninth place and getting a gold medal at Comrades, which kind of moved me from a, a club runner to a, a decent ultra runner. What, what, what do they look like, by the way? What are they? I've never, I've never had the opportunity, and will never have the opportunity to see a gold medal. It's a solid gold. It's like, is it? Yeah, it's weighs. It's an ounce of gold, 
like a solid gold circle and yeah it's quite weighty and very shiny oh at the moment you are i mean the price of gold is going through yeah. the roof you must be laughing <laughs> I, know. I know well one of the girls she i think she had about four and wanted to go on a really big holiday so sold them all <laughs> what a scrap or as just as gold? To... yeah just to some random dude to go on an awesome holiday <laughs> wow <laughs> So, wait a minute, so, so you ran like you ran ninety k for twenty days, and at the end of that, you ran comrades and came ninth. Well, we didn't run the full night. I ended up running nine hundred kilometers in the twenty days, but yeah, then did comrades and came ninth. I think much to the annoyance of a lot of people who are like, "Who are you?" I <laughs> um, I think. Do, do, do you think then that, that? I mean, it's a it's a weird taper strategy. Um, yeah, it, it doesn't make any sense, does it? It? You, it doesn't make any sense. It's kind of brilliant in the sense that what, what, what does that do for you in terms of how do you think that helped your performance was from a mental perspective? Because clearly you your, your body must have it might it, either gone through fatigue yeah. and come back out of it by the time you got to comrades. How, how do you can you justify yeah. it in your mind? What happened? Well, in the last week, I did uh, taper. I did 60K on Sunday, 50K on Monday, 40K, 30, 20, 10. But I think it was massively like the mental aspect of it, where I was like running, going, oh, I did 60K on Sunday. This is all right. And then when I only had like 30K to go, I was like, oh, I did that on Wednesday. So it wasn't this like mental block where normally you you would have done your 60K run six weeks or two months before where mm. it was so fresh that it was like oh this is all right yeah but even do you think did that has that changed how you've thought about races subsequently that that experience or, or do you do have you done anything differently you think you wouldn't have done had you had you gone through that experience i have since then racing done like a normal taper but i do now probably keep my mileage quite high until 10 days or a week before I will keep like before I probably would have started to drop it down nearer when now yeah I do still go quite big until until just before because were you had you trained aggressively to get ready for the the 90 90 90 90 no I was so underprepared <laughs> I'd just been run commuting to work so with my little backpack on running from Richmond to Soho and then I would run halfway home um, or go to a Clapham Chasers like running session. So that was my well thought out strategy. Um, and what kind of mileage would would that have been like from the on average for the ten week block prior? I wasn't. I was doing about hundred to one hundred and twenty. So not nothing ridiculous. Yeah, I mean, although that would be that would be like that would be the training I'd have probably done for comrades, uh, yeah. that kind of mileage, um, and, and wouldn't have been far off. Um, so then when you, well, I mean, going into that, even that level of training, it, it was that new to you? Yeah, yeah, quite new. I hadn't quite done, like I'd done marathon training before. Um, I tried, I had, that was my third time doing comrades. I had done comrades before and tried to do it off marathon training, which doesn't really work. Mm. Um, <laughs> um so yeah it was it was all quite new and and why did you decide to do this this challenge then was it a charity thing or did, did they have links to comrades themselves the other people in it or 
I was at, at the time I was actually going to run through Africa, which much to my mother's delight, I didn't end up doing. Um, <laughs> and in the research for trying to figure out how you run through Africa, I got in touch with a couple of guys who were already doing this project. And one of them was like, oh, what are you doing in May? And I was like, well, I was going to quit my job in June anyway. So <laughs> I just decided to go out earlier. So, yeah, there wasn't. I basically just threw myself into it and thought, oh, that sounds like a good idea without really thinking it through, which is I'm, pretty what I do most I, of the time. I'm intrigued by this aborted run through Africa. What what was your intention with that? What were you, what were you planning for that? I don't know. I thought it would just be like a really fun thing to do. And I don't know, I'm in kind of two minds, having now lived in South Africa and seen Africa and a bit more light i can see that it was probably quite a dangerous thing <laughs> i was going to try and do like just running on my own with a with a pram oh solo yeah. wow um i just wanted to do a different challenge and the i was just planning to do that but then the subsequent aftermath of comrades meant that i got given different opportunities so i didn't end up going and doing that run which I think in hindsight was probably a good idea because I think in the current climate it wasn't the safest thing to to try and attempt. <laughs> and also it's just such a big play, place. It's, it's so unpredictable that you could yeah. start off and it's safe and suddenly, you know, governments change or, yeah, yeah droughts hit. Um, so then how did you find that the first kind of few 90, 90K? Because had you run that distance? Oh, so you'd done comrades before, so you'd, mm. you'd done 90, you'd had a few 90Ks in the bag. Um, yeah. So were you racing as a group? Were you pacing to any particular time? or? No, we kind of, the first day we all, so there were six of us in total. The first day we all started out running together, and then we kind of started to split as a group and there basically ended up being three of us, me, Mike and Roger, who had kind of run together in the day. We wouldn't really like follow a pace. We were running quite slowly, like seven and a half minutes a K, sometimes six and a half minutes a K, which felt like you were flying. Um, but yeah, we would all kind of group back together at lunchtime and then separate again. And yeah, I was I quite enjoyed running with the two other guys just because we would then chat and have a bit of a laugh and yeah we kind of rotated who you were kind of running with throughout the project which was cool and did you get a sense of because you must have been transforming physically quite a lot as well because mm. as as much as you can have belief i don't think belief is would would explain potentially that big a difference in performance. I think, you know, I think you must have transformed, or maybe I'm, you know, I could be wrong mm. on that, but, but did you did you get a sense that you were, you were fine, like those second, third, fourth days before you tore the quad, that actually your body was, was liking it and you were getting stronger even when you were getting tighter? Um, yeah, I did. Certainly the day before I felt awesome. Um, and that's probably what ended up with me hurting my quad because I was, it down these like massive hills and we went over a mountain range so you know i probably shouldn't have done that um you think i would learn i still haven't learned not to smash it down hills um but yeah i was certainly feeling really good on that third and fourth day and then mm. they all kind of went wrong and so when you then turned up at comrade's start line did you have a time in mind so I had this like really weird feeling like the day before I was like 
I reckon I can get a gold medal. Like, I don't know why I thought this. Like, it's ridiculous. I just, um, the quickest I was running in the days before was like a six minute kilometer. And then yeah. I felt like I was on fire. Um, but I just had this like really weird feeling. So I was like, you know what? I'm just going to do go to your blow. So I didn't look at my watch and I ended up when I collected my number the day before, they just put like an elite wristband in my pack, which I found ridiculous. I was like, this is too funny. <laughs> and so, yeah, I was on the front of the start line with all the rest of the girls and yeah, just thought, well, I'm just going to go for it. Do they, I can't remember. Did the girls go first or do you yeah. go the same time? You do. OK. Uh, well, no, they put the, the girls they put on the very front and then they put the elite guys right behind us because then the A seeding guys are behind them and they go a little bit mental. So I think they put the elite men there just to stop you getting completely run over. Yeah. OK. And so were you then pacing off anyone particular? No, I just ran by myself. Just you kind of end up getting people running with you at certain parts of the day, which mm. is quite cool. And they kind of stay with you for a little bit and then disappear. And but, yeah, I was pretty much on my own. And did you feel different in compared to other races you've done? Like, did you did you feel physically as if you were a different athlete? Well, I felt like everything hurt, like my muscles were sore, but it was not, not as bad as it was on day five when I had to stop because of my quad. So, yeah, I just, I don't know, it just went well the whole race. I seemed to be able to keep the pace that I was running and, yeah, just enjoyed it. Well, I think that's the beautiful thing about Comrades, yeah. the downhill, is that you, the first 60K are the hard bit and then it's all downhill. And yeah. depending on, if you if you like right downhills, then it's yeah. just 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 brilliant because you've suddenly got this relief of you don't think this first CCK is going to be hard and then you're like right this is the glory um and so how did you how did you because my worry with that would be that you've you've not really you're not used to race nutrition because all your nutrition has been at such a slow pace yeah Uh, did, did you have stomach issues or did you find that that was a strange adjustment no I think what had probably helped is that during the 20 days before we'd been eating all day long so I was used to eating and running and eating on the go so and I'd found they have these like little nougat bars that I was eating yeah. in South Africa so I just ate them all day and like my mum and dad were seconding me and I remember coming up to my mum and dad and they thought that I was going to be like at the back like running with the boys and chatting to them so I got to my mum I'm like where's my bars and she's like oh my God, they were still in the box and taped up and (laughs) (laughs) like grabbed this box, grabbed one out of the box, threw the rest behind my head. (laughs) She was just like, oh, my God. (laughs) Okay, I think they then were like, "Okay, right, we need to get a move on. (laughs) Oh, so they were actually delivering your nutrition on the. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. And and, and we we traveled with a few people who who used the company to do that. And it was an absolute nightmare. They said they'd turn up. And everyone's bag was just laid out. There's no yeah. order. No. So you, you then had to start looking each time. Mm. So, yeah, I, I mean, I rest with everything in my pockets for that fear. Um, mm. So when you finished then, like, what what did you think? It was so weird because people are, like, shouting at what, what position you are the whole race. But you're never quite sure because at points they're like, oh, you're number one. You're like, well, I'm not. Um, so <laughs> I kind of thought I was because I was in seventh until the last 80k and mm. then I got 
overtaken by two girls in the last 10k and i was like please no one else <laughs> and it was just coming into the stadium when they like give they give you a rose if you've come in the top 10 mm. and it was then like oh my god like i couldn't quite believe that i had done that like it was so weird like running around the stadium i was just like how uh, i don't know it was just a bit confusing <laughs> i was like <laughs> not really sure just like overwhelmed with emotion and then just burst into tears as soon as i crossed the finish line <laughs> and and what does that then do to 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 you as a runner because th there aren't many things you can do that really uh get your name out there and and comrades is the only race i know of in the world where they have professional race teams and yeah um that people are looking out for people in the top 50 yeah. Um, so did it did it suddenly change what you wanted or um, and what you're being offered from running? Yeah, like I never even knew there was such thing as the professional teams. Like I knew there was girls racing all in their club vests, but I just thought that they were like one team. And it was literally mm. you have you end up having like a prize giving the following morning, which because I wasn't part of a team, I didn't know about. And someone like rung me. They're like, you know, you're meant to be at prize giving. I was like, well, when? They're like in were, they wait, were they waiting on stage for they're you? Like, <laughs> no, because luckily we were on Africa time. where. <laughs> it but was it was 90 kilometres away yeah, there. That was the only like, thing. Yeah, it, it, and it pretty much was. It was in Durban. I was in about 50k down the road in Belito. We were like running to the car. <laughs> yeah. But literally at that breakfast, I then had like the team managers come to me and say, do you want to race in our team? And I was like, what? Like, what is this? <laughs> So yeah, it was pretty much from the next day that I got asked to run with one of the pro ultra teams in South Africa, which was quite cool. And and what does that then mean then? Is you just have to race that one race with them or do you have to move? Do you have to train with them? Yeah, so I had to be based in South Africa um, and I kind of thought I was going to go and do that other run anyway through Africa. And I was like, well, there's not many times in life where you're going to get offered a running contract. So I thought, oh, you, you know what, let me just go for it. I was born in South Africa, so I could stay there without visa or any of that. I just quit my job and I'd moved out of my flat in London. So for me, it was kind of like well, everything. It was just easy. Like I didn't really have to make any decisions. It all just mm. fitted into place. What was um, your job? What was your job? Just out of curiosity. Before I was head of operations for MNC Saatchi. Uh, oh my word! Wow. <laughs> yeah. I assume that's fairly high powered. <laughs> yeah, it was cool. It was a fun job, like running around like a maniac, sorting shit out. Well, of if you work in the advertising industry, we obviously then have to ask: Were you drug fueled? <laughs> I was not. <laughs> good, 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 good out there. Right, so my mum used to work in advertising, and when I started, she's like, "Just to let you know, they all do a lot of drugs." Like, no, you get there and you're like, hey. <laughs> And you were the head of operations. Yeah. <laughs> you were the enabler. <laughs> well, and was that a big like? Were you were you wanting to leave um, the city and that type of role, or was it more the opportunity was so great? More the opportunity was so great. I'm like, you know, there's only a certain amount, like a certain period in your life. I mean, I guess for ultra running, you probably mm. probably got like another. 10 15 years which is quite nice but i can work in the city till i'm 80 if i really want so i thought you know what just give it a bash now <laughs> and, and what did they say 
oh no they were awesome like you know they they were like they knew i loved running and could see it as a good opportunity and you know they they were they were awesome so you join the team um yeah. what then happens to, to are the races already scheduled for you are you like what how do you change your expectation and, and how do you how do you replicate the the god awful training you've done realistically hmm. <laughs> do you do that next year or do you like double down or do you yeah like, well how, how, yeah so i guess there was i had to pick there were certain races that you have to do within the year but mm. the focus like south africa is mental like all they care about is comrades mm. like that is the be all and end all to life like and i didn't quite realize like how ridiculous it was until i was there where the guys there from january onwards they will go and do a marathon every single weekend until comrades and you can go and do one on a Saturday and one on a Sunday. And there's 6,000 6, people that turn up to do these races every weekend. Oh, of course, because they're all qualifiers as well, aren't yeah. they? Mental. Um, so yeah, there were certain races that I had to do. I had to do some 10Ks, which were just ridiculous because I was not very quick. <laughs> um, <laughs> and, yeah, I think I didn't really have much for the rest of the year until I was meant to do my marathon qualifier in the march the following year so yeah it was just training and training camps and we went and did quite a lot of training camps in dolstrom i actually went with some of the gb girls there and then to afri ski which is about 3800 meters in lesotho went and did some stuff up there and and would you say that you were were you a different athlete like physically post that that intense block or did you settle down to more what your expectation was prior to going and, and doing that 100, 120 miles a week i think i had to take things a bit more seriously like it felt like you know there's a bit more riding on it and a bit more pressure to kind of do well um which has good and bad things things to it like i did enjoy the training but you know some days it did get a bit mental and mm. you know, it felt like i was training like all day every day and and what kind of mileage were they like would the the race teams do so it wasn't really high mileage we were probably doing like 100 k's a week but there was mm. loads of cross training so we were having to do almost three hours of cross training a day whoa what like weights or uh so cycling and swimming and then weights a couple of times a week and why is that do you think because most most other ultra runners top end yeah. ones would do that that heavier mileage is that because you were still far enough out or With were they worried about injuries the way or? that they were kind of coaching went um you know since then i've changed and i go back to more running i don't you know i like cross training but not that much um mm. <laughs> i stopped doing triathlon you know quite what i did triathlon for quite a while and then stopped it because the bike and swim i didn't enjoy it as much as the running um but i think they you know they used all that stuff as your slow like fat burning kind of easy endurance type stuff and then we would mm. do harder runs running oh so do you, do you think you actually upped the the number of intense miles you did 
yeah in your training it, okay interesting um and and when you went down to things like the 10ks were you faster than than prior to to those blocks as well or did you feel that you you it slowed down no i actually slowed down and i'd actually it was quite strange because i was actually the slowest i ever have been running 10k which was weird mm. so um coming up to the the next comrades then um how how are you feeling about it because obviously ninth is is quite a an annoying second like a, a yeah. one to follow up because you're looking back but then you you've, it's very far to look forward <clears throat> yeah. to get to like the podium so mm. th did you change your expectations well i'd had like such a good lead up in training and I was really strong and I was looking to do like a really strong marathon qualifier in March. But my leg had been hurting for a little while. And then I'd been going to the physio and they're like, well, we can't really figure out what's wrong. Um, went and did the race and I was basically just in a world of pain. Um, finished the race probably 15 minutes slower than I should have. Um, went to the doctor the next day and it turned out that i ended up getting a, having a stress fracture um which was a little bit irritating um mm. so uh i got the stress fracture because i'd gone for a run and i had completely stacked it on the side of the road and went over on my ankle and twisted it so badly that it made a stress reaction in my ankle that then caused a stress fracture so it meant that the next year's comrades, I had to just aqua jog. I wasn't allowed to do anything, and then I could aqua jog. And then my longest run before comrades was 15 kilometers, and I'd done about 80 kilometers in total of running, and then tried to do comrades, and it didn't work. <laughs> wow. And was was that because of of team pressure, or did you just think, well, might as well? Yeah, I just like I think they would have been fine if I said I can't run. Um, but mm. I thought, oh, well, I'm going to see if you can do comrades off cross training. <laughs> and, and what like, happened? Oh. <laughs> <It was laughs> yeah. Very painful. Uh, I mean, I, st I finished in seven hours 50, which was a mm. minute quicker than my last up run. Um, but, <laughs> oh, my God. Like, I just I think if it was a marathon, I could have got away with it. But mm. I just my legs were just not conditioned so the flat hurt the uphill hurt the downhill hurt like physic like in my endurance was really good but my body like the pounding on the roads was just mm. yeah, it was not the funnest thing i've ever tried to do and how long had it been since you'd had a serious block of running before that uh it'd been march march okay you're looking at three, three months? months yeah that's interesting, actually, that you can, because that's that's a good time still. Yeah. But, yeah, I mean, that's all right, considering I've done no running. Yeah, yeah. That's um, so because Jody's currently training for an Ironman, and um, yeah, we're we've been speaking to people who have actually been trained for Ironmans, but not mm. doing any running, and some of them not doing any cycling, and and it does seem to be amazing that you can just yeah. use that fitness potentially but yeah. I, I guess ro not on road though <laughs> for that long yeah. i think because it wasn't like the mar i think i went through the marathon in about three hours so it wasn't like i think i could have got away with not yeah. 
having done running training to get there, it was so then you, it just went into a world of shit. <laughs> so you were actually pacing for a good time? Oh, yeah, I was going as fast as I could until I died. Yeah, I like wow, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so when did you so – are you still with the team then? And, and like, how did the job come about? So I actually swapped teams, and I'm now with a, like an all-women's team in South Africa which are, yeah, they're, they're awesome, like a really nice bunch of girls that I run with. I think there's mm. about 25 of us in total. Um, and then... All professional? <clears throat> a mix. So I think there's 10 elite girls and then the rest are like development athletes, which is quite, it's quite a nice framework how they try and pull the other girls through. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, the jog just came up at the beginning of lockdown this year. Because we went into lockdown and I would normally, I was training for Two Oceans and for Comrades. And I was actually probably the fittest I've ever been. I was really looking forward to racing. But then all of a sudden I was like, all my races are cancelled that I'm like contracted to do. Um, so I'm going to go and do something a bit different because <laughs> <man. laughs> I know just before we talk about that, going back to what you were saying about there being 25 in a team like do you have you noticed that that commitment to financing athletes is that pulling through in other areas are you seeing that do you think we're going to see South African marathon champions in the future do you do you you think it is growing the sport and is that something we that would be great to happen elsewhere I think it's got it has a huge impact on the sport. And I think if you could have those teams like in the UK, um, it would make a massive difference to people. You know, even if, you know, they don't pay you a lot of money, but it covers your your racing and travel for a year. And as you know, like ultras are mega expensive. So mm. I do think it it does help and it kind of, you know, it makes you want to race better and push yourself and, you know, be part of these teams because they do, you know, come with benefits. Um, being part of the teams, you know, you get better spots in races. Um, the thing is, in South Africa, I think that they massively miss out on like the grassroots level and they mm. only get people into running a lot later in life where I think in the UK like the grassroots scheme into running is a lot better um I just don't think that they invest as much in the athletes as you get older in the UK I think it's it's starting to change here I'm sure you guys Mm. probably know a bit more I mean not about funding really I don't can't think of anyone who's funded in, in the way in that kind of wake up and you know as as, as we both know we're, we're both cliff athletes and I, I don't know of anyone who in the UK yeah. who's got who'd be able to survive off a sponsorship um so then the jog yeah what did you like how did you approach that like what was your did you have a team already that in your head did you know a good way to approach it did you have a lot of experience from other people telling you different nuances or so, yeah, I, it was in April and I was like, OK, I'm going to do something cool. So I was like looking at some maps and I was like, oh, maybe I could run the length of the UK. Like I'm still in South Africa at this point. So I was like, I need to was, get back to the UK. Um, I'm happier with that. Happier but, with, yeah, uh, the, yeah, it was like, that's better. <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> 
He's like, okay, uh, you're less likely to die doing this yeah. one. Uh, that's better. Um, but yeah, I was like, and then in the beginning, I was like, okay, I'll do it in 2021. And then after about a day of thinking about it, I was like, nah, I'll do it this year. Um, <laughs> and yeah, I just started to like contact people that had done it before. So I like emailed um, Mimi Anderson, Sharon Gator, mm. Dan Lawson, um, like literally all the people, uh, James Williams, guys that had done it over like the past couple of years and mm. thought, just said to them, look, thinking of doing this can you help me out? Can you have a chat? And like, everyone was awesome. Like everyone kind of gave like a little different nugget of advice. Like Dan was probably instrumental in me because I was going to do John O'Groats to Land's End. And he was mm. like, nah, I done it that way. Like the wind was horrendous, like change direction. So I was like, okay. Really? <laughs> really? That's not making much of a difference, really? Oh. Well, I was like, if someone that's done it is telling me that it was that horrific, I'd be stupid not to listen. So I was like, all right. Yeah. <laughs> Because I'd have thought having getting Scotland out of the way because of the, all the highlands would be yeah. the obvious choice, but no, the Cornwall and Devon are evil. The highlands were not that bad. <laughs> really? Yeah. Ah, oh, oh, interesting. So, so yeah. what's, the, what's the issue with the wind then? With the wind. So you normally in the UK get get south um, westerly winds, which go from the south up to the north of the UK, and that's generally how the wind works which it did for me on day one to 11 of my run. And then day 12, I got a northerly wind. But <laughs> <laughs> but to be fair, I did have a tailwind for most of the run. So, And, and is it a no, do you feel it? Because you can have a wind on your back and have no idea. Like, is it strong yeah. enough that? Yeah, some parts of the day I could feel it. You were like, oh, this is nice. <laughs> But did you take higher strides and uh, <laughs> yeah. and how did you how did you kind of break it down did you did you have a, a van ready did you have people who you knew would take time off or no so I ended up chatting to a friend Caroline who then her husband um is a triathlete and also makes um mini films so he messaged me like literally two minutes after I got off the phone to Caroline telling her what I was going to do he's like I want to get involved. I've also spoken to Dave and Scouse and they're in the team. I was like, all right. <laughs> and I've like, booked you a motorhome. I was like, dude, like, calm down. Um, but no, it was cool. It was, so I ended up like the first people in the team were a guy, it was Mark, Scouse and Dave. And yeah. I did army triathlon with all of those guys. I was in the army back in the day. So they kind of were the initial core. And then my sister who's just qualified as a teacher because of COVID, it meant that she wasn't in school and her headmaster was like, yeah, you can have a couple of extra days off. She then also came, joined the team. And then I just put a little shout out out to get, I tried to get one person for the whole thing, but then actually ended up getting my brother for the first four days, a girl called Alicia for the middle third and another Mark for the last five days. And it was quite nice actually having fresh face Mm. Um, and had any of them crewed before no and none of them had but then a bit unexpectedly like my boyfriend mike ended up coming out from south africa and then he joined after day three of the project with one of my friends who was a doctor they weren't going to come and then they decided to in the end and mike had done ultra running projects before which helped but 
yeah, I think ideally you would have had someone that had crewed before, but I mm. kind of thought because they've all kind of been in that army situation, they should be able to solve any problems that get thrown that way. <laughs> and, and was COVID throwing up any ch extra challenges in your preparation or, or even when you got there? Yeah, well, so I'd like planned the whole thing. So it was all a bit like risky. So with Guinness, you have to apply for a world record 12 weeks before you set off. So I applied and 12 weeks was the day that I wanted to start. So I was like waiting, going, oh, <laughs> and like four days before I started, I got a thing from them saying, yes, you can go and do it. I was like, oh, my God, thank God. Um, so that was a bit... thing from them. What is that? Is that so a text basically... message or is yeah. that a, a balloon or what? <laughs> <laughs> nice. It's a guy um, carrying 15 cakes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Run faster. You're on a unit cycle. Yeah. Yeah, you just get an email that says, yep, you can go and try for the record. So right. I don't know what I would have done if I didn't get that email. Um, and then the other things I had to wait for COVID was for the restrictions to be released, to be able to stay somewhere overnight that wasn't your house. Yeah. Mm. So in England, that happened two weeks before the project started. But in Wales and Scotland, it happened three days before we were due to kick off. So... Yeah, I was would, a bit nervous about The van that. wouldn't count then. You're not a van. It has to actually be, it couldn't be a trailer home, for example. Yeah, no. So you weren't allowed to sleep anywhere that wasn't your own home. So, yeah. So I was a bit nervous, like, oh, my God, I'm going to have mm. to run through Wales in one go. Um, <laughs> just hope... You're not allowed to sleep. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I literally had to plan for that. I was like, OK, <laughs> we might have to just smash through Wales. <laughs> Don't fall asleep on that chair. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and um, and how how was it different to did, like for you? Was it very much the same as when you'd prepared for the South African trip, uh, the the nineteen ninety ninety, or did you no, approach it in a different way? Yeah, so I approached my training differently. Basically, I started off I did four days in a row back to back of long runs I started off at 15 kilometers because that's just the distance I was up to and then I added 5k each week until I got to 50k each day and I stopped there because I then had 10 days to go before the run so pretty much ran out of time and then I did two speed sessions as well in the week just to make sure I wasn't getting too slow Interesting. So, yeah, my, yeah. so just it's really hard to comprehend um, like what that what that what kind of like the landscape is and how it feels you're going to think you know you've just mm. completely like changed how we thought about it because I thought yeah like you said the highlands look mm. like they're the hardest bit of thing so mm. so kind of try and if you if it's possible kind of try yeah. and take us through mm. that journey from the bottom to the top and what the challenges were the different points and you know what's awful what's nice yeah. what is the worst part to go through just like right from right from uh, okay. uh land's end okay so land's end day one obviously you feel like a legend and you're like <laughs> along. you're like it's good that you feel right. like a legend day one yeah are you still going as fast as you can until you fail was that well i thought i was running slowly but it transpired i wasn't running slowly um and it got to 
yeah day one so like the corn in cornwall like the hills are ridiculous they're just 3k up and 3k down rolling on the a30 for like days and you're just going you're either going up a hill or down a hill and it basically just it's like the down run on comrades it just smashes your quads mm. so it got to about 80k on day one where we stopped for lunch i felt really good then got off my chair and went to start running again and i was like oh <laughs> my legs felt like someone had like attacked me with a bat and i had to like hobble down the road for a, about a kilometer until i could run again and from then i was like okay i've, I've smashed my legs up um and yeah the hills just carried on for that first day just like up and down like all all day long um day one i think we probably got lured into a bit of a false sense of security like we finished at about five o'clock in the afternoon it was really sunny we were all like sitting around like having a coke outside this pub <laughs> where we had par Easy. parked the motorhome yeah and then we woke up for day two and i was in a world of pain and had to try and start running again in this weird like running shuffle and then got to Devon, which then the hills are like short and sharp all day. So again, you've just got these hills all day long through these country lanes, just up and down. <clears throat> Is that, I mean, going through those country lanes in Devon, it, I mean, like they, they are dangerous. Like people, mm. are, are they actually dangerous, as dangerous to run on as they are to drive on? Because they're normally quite steep banks and you can't see cars coming. And was it, I, yeah. I always think it feels really dangerous doing that. Yeah, it wasn't, it didn't feel too bad. I think probably because we had just come from running along the A30. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's all relative. <laughs> you're then like, this is all right. <laughs> um, so yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't completely horrific. And I right. think it, it was like a Friday. The schools hadn't yet broken up. So it was probably a little bit quieter than right, normal, yeah. which, which helped. Mm. Um, so yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't too mental. Um but yeah, my quads, like the whole of that day, were just in a world of pain. Um, and I kind of resigned to the fact that that was going to be the case for the next few days. And everyone's and, like, and don't worry, you'll get to Somerset and it's dead flat. You're like, is it? <laughs> <laughs> and was that slowing your pace as well? Or was it you were just oh, having yeah. to accept the pain for it? Yeah, it did. It did slow my pace quite a bit on the second day. And then after that, yeah, from day three, like my pace, like it was so slow it was like i knew i'd be running slowly but i didn't realize i'd be ended up running as slowly as i did and uh, were you behind the pace you needed no so i was still on my plan so my plan was i'd set out like rough distances each day because i basically mm. got the distance that sharon ran the year before and divided it by 12 technical and i was like that's the distance I'm gonna <laughs> and i gave myself a 24-hour buffer because i was like something's going to go wrong at some point so i gave mm. myself that window to finish within um so yeah i was still actually i was on target on the target that i'd set until day seven nothing had slipped which was which was quite good seven or eight i think and what was that? What happened then? We did you just tire slowly, or was there an incident which triggered the change? 
No, I think I then just decided it would be better to either get to the distance I'd set or to run till 10 o'clock at night. So then I had enough time to eat, sort myself out, get some sleep and mm. wait the next day. So I could have carried on going and it was only by like three or four K on those first couple of days that I slipped by. So for me, it was fine. I was like, it's cool. I'm just going to get to 10 o'clock at night. And then from then on, we just ran till 10 o'clock each, each day or how far I can get. And I think by day, by the last day, we were 40 K behind what I had originally set, which I was like quite happy with because I'd had that. Um, Oh, so actually you were, you were 40 K behind, but you had that day in hand. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, so even when you were behind, you were actually behind. You were probably still ahead the whole way yeah. through. Yeah, yeah. So I was still ah. ahead of the record the whole way, which was cool. So there was like no, there was pressure to keep on moving, but none to panic to be like, right, I'm not going to sleep until the last night. Mm. And how much sleep were you getting typically day to day? I was lying. I was lying down for five hours, but I couldn't really sleep. Like <laughs> your muscles mm. just. They don't turn off. They were like continuously fired where I just couldn't get them. Like they were just sore. Like every time you turned, you'd wake up. And so, but I think lying down was, was better than running. So. Mm. And and would you feel refreshed at all in the morning or? Yeah. Yeah. No, I'd feel, I'd feel good again the next day, which was. Thing. And what and what fueled all this? What was your what was did you did you stick to a, a kind of a nutrition plan or was it everything everything you can get your hands on all the time <laughs> right now? <laughs> so yeah, my nutrition plan. I had two water bottles, one with noon and one with water, and I set a little timer on my watch every ten minutes. I would drink, alternate them, and then food again. I set a timer on my watch for every thirty minutes, and I would eat. I would alternate having a cliff bar with some real food and that consisted of sausages, cake, sausage rolls, yogurt, fruit, cheese, biscuits, all the food. Um, yeah, every 30 minutes throughout the day. And at so breakfast, I'd have oats. At 30K, I'd have a fried egg sandwich. At lunch, I'd have a toasted sandwich and then pasta or something for dinner. But yeah, it got, um, it got boring like eating all day <laughs> and did you have all that food with you at the beginning or, or were you were your helpers having to drive off and pick things up and figure out supermarkets and yeah so we had a lot of it at the beginning but then as i went through i was like oh my god i don't want to eat any more pancakes this is boring they're like what do you want i was like sausages they're like of course you do so i was basically having like a party buffet <laughs> <laughs> Just like buffet food. But, and then like one day I was like, oh, I really want a quiche. That will be a really easy thing to eat and run with. It wasn't. It was disgusting. <laughs> quiche everywhere. And the guys cycling with me are like, why are you eating a quiche? I was like, I don't know. It was a great idea. <laughs> it was on sale. It was so gross. But yeah, they were having to like dart around and get food from yeah various supermarkets along the way. Did you, and, did, were, there, were there any points where you, you made some terrible decisions? Like, I'm not saying the quiche one was a terrible mm. decision, but <laughs> ones where you, you, you either 
you know, you, you decided you wanted something or, or, or you made a decision, you were just like something like that was that was a bad idea? Um, I don't think so. I think it all kind of worked pretty well. I think the crew probably got irritated with me when I came in and they're like, do you want sausages? I'm like, no. Do you want this? No. Do you want? And they're like, okay, princess. Like, what do you want? <laughs> <laughs> they like to call me that. I was like, oh, sorry. You know, you're just like, you've been eating for like 15 hours of the day mm. and like, you just don't fancy anything anymore. Um, <laughs> and I ended up actually after about eight days, nine days, getting like little ulcers on my tongue from like eating and drinking so much. Oh, so that was no a bad way. decision. Yeah, they gave me tomatoes, and oh my good god, like the acid from the tomatoes, these <laughs> cuts in my tongue. I was like in a world of pain. Yeah. That was and do, you, do you think you could have done anything to avoid it? That maybe drink more of your calories, <clears> or is it, is it almost unavoidable? The thing is, like my nutrition was working so well, like I didn't mm. have any dips in like energy throughout the day i was never like i was doing like urine tests to check that i was hydrated at the end of every day like my hydration levels were like pretty much perfect so for me i was like you know what i'm just gonna suck it up that my tongue's gonna hurt as well as my legs so yeah i i probably could have changed it but it worked so i was like oh, do you know what it's just part of the parcel and were there any places that were very different to how you expected and how they looked and, and, and what the atmosphere was like? Um, so yeah, I guess as you kind of moved up the country, Cornwall and Devon weren't as pretty as I thought they would be, Maybe, mainly because, like you said, you've got these big hedgerows either side of you. You can't really see. Mm. Yeah. Um, you're then, like, Wales was quite cool. We were in this valley, which was really pretty, and it was quite misty in the morning. Um, and then the lakes, I, I don't know why, but I got it in my head that we were going to go up and over one of these 30% gradient hills. Like, <laughs> you'd think I would know that I wasn't. But I was like, oh, my God, I'm going to go up hard, not pass. Like, I'm going to die. And then we went up and over Shap, which was, like, quite easy. Um but then, yeah, getting to Scotland and getting up onto the Pentlands and from then onwards, like, it was just beautiful and, like, mm. way prettier than I thought it would be. And that's why I was really glad I ended up doing it the way that I did because mm. we then had the views for the last four days. And and do you think if you if you did it again and everything went right, <laughs> like, what would you change and... What do you think your time would be? Yeah, I definitely, like, because I didn't really know what to expect. I hadn't quite done anything, like, on this level. Like, I think I probably could have gone a little bit further, like, further on the first couple of days. But I've been thinking about it, and I'm like, you know, do you then risk getting injured sooner? You know, everything kind of worked. Nothing went wrong, really, for me until the last 24 hours. Like, if I'd mm. gone harder at the beginning I don't know if it would have made a difference um I think maybe I would have done a few more back-to-back -back 100k days to get you know I would have gone further in my training but I didn't have the time to do it and it kind of all all worked the way I wanted it to so yeah I'm not sure there would be that much that I would change going back
but I'm not going back and I've got it on film. I'm <laughs> saying I'm never doing this again because I've already forgotten the pain. I'm like, it was brilliant. Where I was like <laughs> day three sitting in the back of the van crying, going, oh, this is rubbish. <laughs> and do you think you have a preference now for big multi-days or, or big single days? Yeah, I think, I don't know. I just, re I really want to do both. Like, I think it's nice the like single day racing I think that's like really cool where you can like push yourself against other people but then big long multi-day adventures like I really enjoy mm. yeah I mean the good it's, it's it sounds like actually in your training anyway you're you're interchanging a lot of those whatever you're doing so yeah. um and so where do you see this going then have you now got your plans on other multi-day records or was this just a covid enforced scenario when you're back to, to comrades no i think i'll want to do more like multi-day record fkt kind of chasing i'm not sure if i would do like the guinness stuff again but just because the guinness world record stuff is so much admin where these mm. are a lot easier and i think probably mm. a lot more enjoyable um so yeah i definitely want to do some of them i really want to try and do western states race that properly that would be awesome um and i really want to run across the Pyrenees. And then I've started in the last few days to be like, I wonder how long it would take to run around the whole edge of Great Britain. So, which is a Ooh, dangerous yeah. <laughs> yeah, and and a very different challenge as well in yeah. terms of logistics. I think I'd probably want to do that, but do it like self-supported, just with a backpack mm. and mm. just- wait, wait till Scotland's got independence, it'll be much shorter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, lose yeah. Northern Ireland. Way out of Scotland. Great there idea. There you go. That's how you beat the record. Yeah. <laughs> and and during the when your attempt, did you get any? Because at, at the moment, people seem to be absolutely scrutinising everything that people do in case there's a hint that they haven't recorded something properly. Or yeah. like, did you sense any of that? No, I think I had heard that that can happen and that is some of the advice that I got from other people but I think we were pretty open with everything that we were doing I put all my stuff out there I put all my training on Strava anyway because I don't care if people see what I do and we you know we were open with people coming and joining joining us at any any point so yeah I never had anyone question did which was nice I had people calling me an idiot for running down the A30, but, you know, that's part of the parcel of going for a record. Like, you have to take silly risks. Um, but, yeah, no, nothing to say that I didn't do it, which is nice, because I think it would have been a bit upsetting to be, like, gone through all that pain, and then someone, you had a body double, didn't you? That was hiding in a bush. <laughs> And do, and do you think if you then had a, a nine days before comrades, do you think you'd see a similar level of performance after the jog, or, or did it break you a bit differently? I don't know. Like, um, I my shin has been very sore since I finished, but I do feel now like I really want to run um, again, um, and it's only been yeah a couple of weeks. Um, 
But yeah, I think, I don't know, I think things like that do, when it's fresh in your mind and your body's used to that pain, like racing a one day after you've had a little break is probably a little bit easier. And I would be intrigued to see how I did in a race now, but luckily there's no races, so <laughs> I can't be tempted <laughs> to do that. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. And um, I mean, there, if people want to get in touch and to follow you, what's the best way for them to do that? So probably Instagram, um, just Carla Molinaro, um, or yeah, Strava, Carla Molinaro, Facebook. I think at the moment it's still Carla LaJog. Perfect. And um, if you've got any advice for anyone who tapes, who attempts uh, going for your record, is there any one thing you'd say that they should be aware of? Or um, it hurts. Like. <laughs> 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 You just have to accept from the beginning that it's going to be the most painful thing that you've ever done in your life. And I think if you accept that from the start, you'll be all right. Well, actually, well we were just tying off there. Did you do anything for pain management? Were you uh, taking any any pills or things? or? No, no just, you know, it, everything hurts so much that I was like, yeah, nothing's really, really <laughs> going to stop, <laughs> stop this. So I just, yeah, embraced it. I kind of felt it was my stupid idea to do this run so i had to suck up the pain well congratulations it's an incredible time incredible performance and um well given given comrades and this i expect there to be many more in the future as well thank you <laughs> that's coming carla and uh, let us know if there's anything we can do to help you out with any challenges in the future cheers guys This is what I always forget about when we interview people at Beat Records. They're no good at giving travelogue-style tales because they're going through everything so damn fast. Yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> you, know, you kind of think, oh, you've seen the whole country. You've seen the nuances of villages and city life and stuff like that. And they're <laughs> like, fuck that, I'm running. I don't give a shit about what yeah. I just need to get to my mileage and then go to sleep. <laughs> I was on the ring road thinking, leg hurts. Then I got to this area <laughs> yeah. thinking... Now that leg hurts. Yeah, we're going, what are, what are, do the people in different parts of the country treat you differently? What do you find is the difference between the <laughs> and the guy, like, don't know, didn't speak to him, just ran. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's interesting because I've, it, it would give you such a different view of, well, probably not England, because I reckon we've driven a lot of the places she'd have, she'd have run in England. Well, Ross, but, has, Ross has driven a lot of the places. That she, Ross has driven, <laughs> it's true, true. Ross has driven to me a lot of the places. Um, but yeah, Scott, I'd love to do that in Scotland because Scotland is quite, quite different. That they, It doesn't seem to have as many big cities in the middle. No. And so no. once you but pass... The thing, is, it, it, the thing is you forget about it is that the halfway point between Land's End and John O'Groats is the Lake District. Is that right? Yes. <laughs> I didn't know that. Oh, because yes. that feels so much further north, doesn't it? Yes, it does. It's it's insane. When I uh, I went up to the Lake District and I stood at um, uh, Windermere, and there's a there's a plaque there that says basically John O'Groats, like however many miles in that direction, uh, lands in that direction. So you're kind of like halfway. And when you re when you when you know that, you're like, whoa, Scotland's massive. <laughs> But then, like you say, yeah. like you go, you kind of go out out of like what's it called um, the the southern part of Scotland, where like you've got Glasgow and Edinburgh, and then like you know what what big city do you do you come to? 
because yeah, Inverness is to the right, isn't it? Yeah. And so you're just yeah in wilderness I, and amazing. It must be incredible. But I, I don't. I, I've not really. I've not really like travel around Scotland or anything else like that. I've only been to um, literally the worst parts, um, and so I don't know anything <laughs> about you know what it what it's like. <laughs> you mean Glasgow? <laughs> but no, I've been to uh, well, I because because I'm quarter Scottish. Are you? I think yeah, I am as well. Oh yeah, not saying granddad. What? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, but but we never we, we I only ever went to Scotland when there was a clan meeting. Whoa, wait, wait, wait! What kind of clan? <laughs> 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 what are you saying about the Scottish? <laughs> so, yeah, so that's the my, that's only my only experience, and the only experience I've really got of Scotland is the most expensive ferry journey I have ever been on in my life. From where to where? From um, some point um, near Glasgow um, across the Danoon. It must have been about three minutes and it cost about 29 quid or something. It was it was utterly insane. It ruined my whole week. I bet it was a pound for the locals. It was, it was, yeah, exactly. I bet it was a pound for the locals as well. Unbelievable. Um, but I didn't have anywhere I... to tilt though, so that was all right. <laughs> right it's it's incredible the way because do badders have a look on the power 10 or um run britain rankings where you can see people's times because have a look at the step chain that change that carla did and it makes me think that maybe more people we've spoken to so many people who've done these multi-days where they go for fkts and but maybe more people should try and put a race in at the end of it because it's there's just no one else I know who's ever done what she's done and had these big challenges. Then not not really tapered, you know, had 60, 50, 40, 10. It's still still quite a lot. Um, in fact, that's a lot in the, the week <laughs> that's before. Insane. That's insane. Yeah, that's still, yeah, that, I think that was more than my training. It might be it might be technically a taper, but it's not really a taper. Um, uh, the thing is, that, listener, well, you didn't hear, but David alluded to this, um, but. Just before um, the, the kind of the interview started, David was just double checking that his analysis of it was correct. And I think you were doing that because it's kind of an insane. You, you were kind of like going, mm. right, th this kind of seems a bit insane. But is that how you characterize? And so she agreed with that because it, yeah. you're right. It is insane. Because I looked at it because I afterwards I was like, oh, I'd I, I, like um, Briggsy was hoping she might be first female, uh, first British female at Comrades. She's done really well. And then we were like, who's Carla? I've, I've not heard of Carla. And she's, she's a club and chasers who are, they compete against us quite often, but actually they're in a different league sometimes um, for cross country. So I was just surprised that we hadn't met and we didn't know each other. And I looked at her times and I'm like, and you, we all do a little bit of pruning after a race, don't we? Where we like to see, well, who did I beat who's quicker than me? Well, maybe I'm as quick as them now. And like, and just just to Is that see pruning. Yeah, I think it's a bit of pruning, isn't it? Yeah, pruning. A little bit of pruning, definitely. <laughs> what? I've never heard that term used in that way before. Um. Well, now you have. Now you have. <laughs> just, well, maybe invented another term. Bit of pruning after a run. Absolutely, but um, just but where you kind of have a look at who was ahead of you, who was behind you, especially something like comrades, where I didn't really have a firm goal. I didn't really know what a great time was would be. I knew where I should be about within about half an hour, but 
you you have a I look back almost to have a sense check of like what did I do well what didn't I do what could I improve upon and like how well did I actually do and that was why I was so blown away by Carla because I, I was looking at her her previous times and I I wouldn't have thought she'd come in 25 minutes with me potentially even half an hour of me um but Damien who was probably on paper only 10 minutes slower than me in the math and maybe a, a tiny bit more um he's never he's never broken 7:30, and she absolutely smashed it so it's it it's really interesting it's, no one seems to has have looked at this phenomena before and it could be that it's something that because no one's actually done something like this that we've just never considered it as a training technique i mean it's not it's it's not an easy one it's what it's not it's a risky one. It's a very risky one. I suppose <laughs> it depends on how much you've invested in it and stuff like that. But it is, you know, obviously there's something about it that works. So if you can't afford the flights, just start running in July for next year's comrades. Probably win the whole thing. There you go. That's a good one. Yeah, just keep start running and start running until you get to comrades. But interestingly enough, after MDS and it, it, this isn't true of everyone. I know a lot of people who then quite quickly went on to set PBs in marathons, and that could have been like a week or two after MDS, because if you weren't broken by it and you managed to recover, you just had such a high level of fitness. Yeah. Um, and, and something like Comrades as well is, is probably the perfect distance because you weren't having to go insanely fast. You were just running the whole way through at a good pace. Whereas if you're trying to go for a 10k PB, 5k PB, it might be slightly different. Um, yeah. So, are you going to change how you train? What are you asking me? You, yeah. Are you asking? Are you asking the listener? Uh, well, asking you and the listener. Like, like pre pre this Ironman, are you going to be going out swimming five miles a day, cycling 200 miles a day? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, just ahead of it. Um, <laughs> I I think it's I. To me, it feels like a cramming technique, and that really feels <laughs> to me. Yeah, <laughs> true. You know, I, I'd rather, I'd rather cram it all into like six weeks, do an incredibly hard six weeks before <laughs> a race, rather than spread it out nicely across the year. <laughs> That's brilliant. I'd, lo I'd, I love the idea of her actually having that technique with all of her teammates around as well. She's like, yeah, don't worry about me. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll catch you up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> where's carla been for the last six weeks just running wow um, <laughs> yeah so do better so let us know what you think um letters at badboyrunning.com has does anyone else you know had this experience where they have undertaken back to back to back to back tiny bit of um uh, not, well a taper-ish and then found actually They've just had a, a step change in their performance because um, I'd love to know if this is genuinely a, a phenomenon that that could be repeatable by more because it, it, it could be really interesting for future challenges if people know that this is a possibility because um, it would be great because it means if you don't necessarily get the FKT you wanted, we've always, we've always thought with like one big race, the chance of you have a single day race you will break yourself and do your muscles so badly that you can't really race again quickly afterwards but maybe there's something weird about multi-day that changes because you're having to respond and heal 
each day already maybe that means that the rules change um yeah so if you've got any experience or know anyone let us know because i'd love to find out more about this well any uh, any people you'd recommend if people enjoyed this episode and haven't listened to them all yet multi-day racing um let's think elizabeth barnes winner of the mds multi-day we recommend her all the time now <laughs> um camille heron winner of comrades yeah two absolutely. three years ago yeah um she's not gone to multi-day but she say again hugh hugh we need to talk about hugh actually <laughs> to talk about hugh sounds like a uh, a series doesn't it <laughs> hugh brassington yeah we uh why do we need to talk about hugh now what's he done oh no he's just done bob graham Oh, that's right. He was crewing, wasn't he? Oh, yeah. Fair play. Yeah, yeah. True, true, true. So there's another good episode. And other multi-day, Tom Evans, um, or, but even Dan Lawson, he came oh, yeah, on to speak course. about Dan the Lawson, job. the obvious one. Yes. <laughs> he, Although he, is... didn't speak, he didn't speak a lot about, um, he talked more about t-shirts than he did about running. So Yeah, that's true. There was, we, we covered a lot of things, um, but he's underdoing, he, he's going for the job currently. So... Hopefully, he'll get that record. Uh, he's certainly good enough to. It's going to be a case of luck, I think, with these things. Um, but if you've enjoyed this episode, please do subscribe. Please do like and please do review us. Um, the reviews really help us get visibility with uh, future guests. If there's anyone you'd like us to interview, then david at badboyrunning.com. Um, we still got merch available, Jody? Buy merch, buy lots of it. Buy it on back order, just buy it. So that's badboyrunning.com. You get hats, you can get t-shirts, you can get buffs. Buffs, the pirate buffs are great if you haven't got a mask. They're not buffs, David. They're not buffs. Bandanas. Bandanas. They're um, generic elasticated headwear. That's right. They're G-H-G-E-R-S. Yeah, yeah. Get your gerers, people. Get your gerers. So thanks for listening, guys. We'll be back next week. Until then. Have a giddy. But a bye 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 bye